Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Managed care is a system of healthcare that attempts to keep the costs of healthcare down whilst maintaining or improving the quality. You can trace the history of the concept in the United States back to an era of the construction boom and industrialization that created a number of organized relationships between employers and physicians to provide care to their employees or members for the payment of a small annual fee. But the history dates back further. Over 700 years ago, China had village doctors who were paid by the villagers when they were well, but received no money when the patients were sick. When they fell ill, they stopped paying until they were better and able to work again. This principle of wellness over sickness care and alignment of incentives, albeit very simple, certainly easy to understand. At its core, it checks many of the boxes for aligning incentives and costs in healthcare. Keep patients healthy? Check. Compensation? Reasonable and paid on a population under care? Check. Catastrophic coverage? Check. Shared insurance risk? Check. I know, too simplistic for our complex world today, but you have to admit, there's a certain elegance and beauty to this proposal. Fast forward to today, And while we do have managed care, the original intent has been a little lost in the implementation. Health management organizations, or HMOs, have been formed to manage populations they serve, but their uptake has been limited and met with a lot of resistance, with traditional fee-for-service models reigning as the dominant methodology under which healthcare is delivered today. Meanwhile, everyone, and I mean everyone, is complaining about costs. Patients complain about unaffordable healthcare. Physicians and clinicians complain about falling reimbursement and loss of income. Hospitals complain about rising costs and lack of resources. And payers and insurers complain about excess charges and waste. And ultimately, we're all patients in this system, either indirectly through relatives and friends or directly ourselves, and the current trajectory is satisfying fewer and fewer people. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Ken Steele. He's a principal at ECG Management Consulting in the managed care practice as we explore a realistic and acceptable path to a managed healthcare. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Nick. So, we're talking managed care. I feel like we've been talking about managed care forever, and yet we still haven't reached that destination. Is this just a mirage, or are we going to finally get to some level of managed care and the ultimate goal, which is the reduction in costs and then the improvement in the quality of care? 
Yeah, Dr. Nick, I don't think we've met our goal. Um, I think it's a, it's a long runway here. And I think we've been struggling to get to a place where there's more emphasis on value-based care. And, uh, you know, HMOs were, were formed to manage the health of a population. And that really hasn't panned out in lots of markets. Um, we, we've seen the fee-for-service, you know, continue as the dominant form of payment, which is, which is not an incentive to reduce costs or improve quality. Um, so it's been a long journey. I'm not sure we're ever going to get there because healthcare was built on fee-for-service, and it's really hard to, ba- to uh, break the reliance on fee-for-service payments. So my, my sense of this is, based on the last data that I saw, is that we're still at, at least 70% or so of fee-for-service, despite a long-standing push. Is that a, a reasonably accurate estimate of the market? Yeah, today? yeah, it might be lower or higher in some markets, but I think it's more around 80, 85% is still fee-for-service. In some markets, it's 100% fee-for-service, particularly outside large metropolitan areas. So yeah, the innovation hasn't occurred at the pace that uh, providers and also health plans had, had had assumed it would. And there's, there's been a lot of barriers, Dr. Nick. Um, it's an investment for hospitals and medical groups to take on more value-based care because they've got to change the way that they deploy their utilization management. They've got to improve their analytics. Sometimes the metrics aren't clear. Sometimes the metrics aren't very measurable. And there aren't, there aren't a lot of dollars being put into value-based care. We, we find that the more dollars that are available uh, in terms of either taking risk or not taking risk, but more dollars available to improve quality, to reduce the cost of care and, and improve the patient experience, that organizations will will move will move more uh, expeditiously towards value-based care. But we're just we're just not seeing that. We're seeing pockets of that around the country. It's still, uh, for, for better or for worse, it's still a fee-for-service game out there. So I, I think for the most part, I believe people agree that managed care is the right approach. It's good medicine. I, I don't think that, you know, there's a huge pushback intellectually from it. But despite that, we've struggled. And you talked about barriers. What are the barriers? Where have we struggled to actually affect and, and speed up the process of adoption? Yeah, what's interesting, Dr. Nick, I think is that, you know, historically, you know, hospitals have been under a lot of pressure to reduce length of stay, as an example, to reduce admissions and readmissions. So there's been a, a big focus there. So I think hospitals and health plans have been, done a pretty good job of reducing unnecessary hospital utilization. But that being said, there's still a lot of disagreement in terms of whether uh, care is appropriate or not. And uh, the health plans are in a good spot because they're the ones that deny services and the hospitals don't have to appeal for those services. So that is becoming more and more contentious over time. There just is, aren't good rules around what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It depends upon the criteria you, lose, you use. So there's a lot of a friction day in and day out. And the, on the provider side, I, I don't think the hospitals and the physicians have been convinced that this is going to be a rapid improvement towards population health. I mean, everybody jumped into population health thinking it was a great idea, not really understanding that to manage the health of a population, it requires you know, lots of resources. It requires hospitals and physicians to kind of change their, their focus. And there just hasn't been the payoff. We just don't see incentives uh, large enough to, to make behavioral changes. We don't see hospitals and physicians willing to invest in either more staff or more technology or data analytics. The hospitals right now, as you know, are really struggling financially with the pandemic. 
there's a shortage of hospitals of nurses. Uh, many hospitals still aren't doing elective services. So I think what we're facing in the future is an increased demand for services and a, a decreasing supply in terms of access. And I think that's going to play itself out over the next couple of years. And I don't think that's short-term. I think that's a long-term systemic issue that health plans and providers are going to have to deal with. They're going to have to work together to, to reinvest in healthcare. We're just not seeing payers reinvesting in healthcare. We're seeing record profits uh, and we're seeing hospitals struggle with double digit increases because they have travelers, as an example, uh, they've got incre increased supply costs and they've got uh, supply chain issues. So, so hospitals are continuing to struggle financially and they're struggling because it's not the same business model. There's a high demand for services and reduced access. And so they're trying to balance that on a day-to-day -day basis. So as I listen to my colleagues, uh, my clinician colleagues, and, and read their sort of uh, perspective of this, one of the things that seems to pervade a lot of the discussion is this sort of almost confrontational approach between the individuals, the systems, and the people actually paying the bills. And let's be fair, it's reasonable to try and impose some level of restriction because otherwise we would just see runaway costs, which in part we've seen. But the, the balance seems to be tilted against and has provided just an extraordinary level of lift that employs an awful lot of administrative overhead staff to deal with the process of getting approvals. How do we bring people back to the table? Because ultimately both need to be there to deliver those services. Yeah, it's a great point because over 20% of the healthcare costs goes towards administration, particularly on the health plan side. Um, yeah, so, so it does create a lot of friction. You know, as, as you mentioned, I think there's just different goals here. The health plans look at hospitals as not being terribly efficient. Therefore, they're creating more and more burdens and barriers for, to get authorization and to get, get payments. The hospitals, I just believe on a day-to-day -day basis, they're doing the best thing they can for the patients. But we've got in this healthcare system in America, we've got a third party in the middle called a payer where there's not a direct relationship between the buyer and the seller. It's unlike anything else. It's not like buying groceries or gasoline, but you have a third party who has the advantage, I think, in retrospectively looking at care, which hospitals don't have the luxury of looking at retrospective care or doctors. They have to treat patients you know, based upon their needs and, and demands in, in a moment. Health plans can take it, take it retrospectively and then decide, well, based upon paperwork and nurses' notes and case managers' notes, that that care was not appropriate. So they, they have an advantage and that frustrates a lot of providers because they're doing the right thing. And health plans aren't taking care of patients. Health plans do not take care of patients. Hospitals and doctors take care of patients. So we see in other parts of the world um, systems that have third-party payers that actually work. You know, it's an effective system. I, I know the extremes of, you know, delivery of healthcare. You, you look at uh, the NHS where I, I came from, which was free at the point of service. It's not free care. I, I always think it's important people need to understand that, but it's free at the point of service. We don't have payers so much in the mix, although there is an understanding of costs. But there are other middle ground systems that have managed to do this. What is it that we're failing to do? You, you cited the sort of challenge of conflicting objectives. How do we bring those objectives into line? Because ultimately, everybody is a patient at some point. So we're all in this together. 
um, but we're not when we're around the negotiating table. Yeah, I think part of it is just a history, Dr. Nick. Uh, I think it's also just trust that health plans, hospitals, uh, employers that don't trust each other. Um, health plans have very different goals. You know, they're very for-profit driven. They do do some things that uh, certainly you know, benefit uh, the, the population, but they don't deliver health care. I always use the analogy that if it's midnight on Christmas Eve, you're not calling your health plan to find a nurse or doctor, you're going to the hospital ER. I mean, hospitals and, and physicians are the point of access. It, it's not health plans per se. Um, employers like health plans because they want them to drive down the cost of health care. But patients are the one that kind of gets stuck in the middle where there's more and more dollars you know, out of pocket through co-pays, co-insurance and deductibles. There's more rules around managed care, accessing, getting authorization. Now we have third parties that look at uh, approving imaging services or lab services, or ambulatory services. Or, so the health plans are putting more people in the middle of the provider and the patient, kind of spinning off certain services and asking certain specialty uh, companies to manage those services. So it's more and more confusing uh, to the consumer now. That being said, what we've seen Dr. Nick is HMO enrollment has been declining over time. You know, that's the most restrictive form of managed care. And PPO enrollment, where there's more choice, people are embracing that because they feel like they can make choices and they have more freedom to see, see, uh, see other providers. But I think consumers, it takes a long time for, for consumers to kind of understand the impact of their choices, particularly as it relates to, to out-of-pocket costs. So there's kind of this value-based system that's trickling down to providers, and providers, hospitals, and physicians, but it's also impacting patients. And it just takes a long time to kind of break patterns and break that, that reimbursement history. I mean, I'm optimistic that we're making a change, but the change is, is not going to fundamentally, I don't think, change healthcare unless all parties trust each other, unless all parties decide they're going to work towards the common good of the patient and that they're going to allocate resources uh, more fairly. I think hospitals would say, gee, we, we're not getting our fair share of resources. Health plans would say, well, there's too much appropriate utilization going out there. We, out there, we don't want to reward you for that. Employers are putting pressure on, on health plans because lots of employers you know, deal internationally in terms of uh, markets, and they also have high health care costs. And then patients are just trying to navigate what's an increasingly a more complex environment to seek services. And I think the other part to this the patient who is, as you rightly say, stuck in the middle of this um, combat, for want of another word. Um, I, I'm the foreigner here. I, I arrived in the U.S. and, you know, one of the things that has been clear to me over the course of time is the absolute requirement for for choice you know the freedom of will that you know pervades u.s society it's a sort of fundamental and i think what i hear sometimes is this is limiting my choice i'm i'm being hindered for something that i ought to be able to choose but i don't think that's true this is not about limiting choice it's about trying to improve the choices is that maybe the pathway to sort of accelerate this yeah, I don't see that we're going to be improving choices in the sense, I think, that is care appropriate? Are you seeing the right specialists? You know, is there follow-up care? So, so I, I think there's choices around quality of providers that people kind of understand that there's 
you know, rating systems out there now. There's all kinds of ways to kind of judge hospitals and physicians in terms of the quality of services. But I think what's happened around choice is that the more that we innovate, the less choice people have because with new technology, even when Medicare embraces something that is costly, that the typical pattern is that the health plans don't get on board right away with innovation because it costs more in terms of delivering those services. We're seeing that a lot of pressure now around oncology drugs where, as you know, Dr. Nick, the, the innovation is exploding and there's all kinds of miracle drugs out there, but they're very, very expensive. And so you know, health plans are slow to embrace that. Health plans are slow to jump on board and say, you know, that's a worthwhile drug. It's, it's a different model because, you know, a lot of employers from year to year, you can change insurance companies. It's not like Kaiser where you stay in that one system and there's an incentive to manage your healthcare over a lifetime. The, the thing about uh, multiple health plans and its competition is a good thing, but they don't look at uh, the longitudinal cost of managing somebody. They look at it kind of a quarterly, quarterly basis. That's just the way that you know, for-profit companies work with earnings being reported to, to Wall Street. So I would say there's better choices out there for healthcare. We have better information day to day for consumers if they want to access that information. But when it comes to innovation, there's a tremendous lag between what's what's occurring in the marketplace, what Medicare is doing. And Medicare has been embracing innovation. Uh, we don't see the commercial health plans uh, following so quickly. They're much more cautious about adding uh, high-cost technology or high-cost drugs, even if they've you know, proven to have significant impacts on patients' wellness and, and longevity. So I, I, I think there's hope but we've got some challenges particularly around the pandemic we saw you know a loss of uh, resources we're struggling with essentially supply uh, a lot of that hasn't returned to normal um, what do you think is sort of central to helping us navigate through this next phase, which I want to call post-pandemic, even if it's maybe not. I'm, I'm never really sure at what point we emerge from that. But is that the trigger? Is that the inflection point that will allow us to rethink this and start to emerge with better forms of managed care? What about accountable care organizations? Yeah, I, I think we are at an inflection point where these cost increases aren't sustainable for hospitals and physicians. And those cost increases are not being passed on to employers and patients. So um, they, they've, they've been handed a pretty good deal where they're paying more for all kinds of services, but healthcare costs aren't being uh, directly passed on to the consumer. So I don't think that model is sustainable long-term. Like I said earlier, we're seeing layoffs, we're seeing downsizing. And then I think what's going to happen is employers are going to become more unhappy, and so are patients, because they're going to have to wait for surgery. Uh, they're going to have longer waiting lines in ERs. There's going to be fewer ICU beds. You may have to be transported to other hospitals. There's going to be a lot of disruption in healthcare, uh, and that disruption is probably going to occur over the next couple of years. And what I think has to happen is we have to have health plans and, and hospitals and physicians working together to kind of stabilize the, the supply and the demand for services. And health plans are going to have to invest. They're going to have to invest, I think, and in, in support hospitals and physicians in those higher costs because I don't believe those higher costs are going to, weigh, going to go away completely. They're going to be probably somewhat mitigated. But you got to incentivize hospitals and physicians to, first of all, have more professionals 
be trained and also to provide more services. We're not seeing expansion of services. We're seeing a contraction of services. And at some point in time, contraction of services needs to move towards an expansion of services. But that has to come about by people realizing that they're going to pay more. You and I as individuals will pay more out of pocket. Employers will pay more. And, and health plans are going to have to give some of that profit up because that profit long-term is not going to be good for healthcare delivery. It's not going to be good for the employers and for, and for the patients. So I think the next couple of years, we, there's got to be a reckoning on how much do health, health plans, what's a reasonable profit for health plans to make? What's a reasonable margin for hospitals and physicians to make in order for all, all of these businesses to stay, sustain themselves? And, and right now, it's a big battle around, around costs. And uh, you're going to see more contract terminations around the country where hospitals and physicians just say we, we can't continue to deliver services for that, that, that amount of money. Uh, it's, we've got to be got to be more they're going to have to be more aggressive in seeking and demanding increase in in their contracted rates uh, because costs are going up and they, they can't continue to fill the gap. The health plans are going to have to fill the cost gap by putting some more dollars uh, towards providers. So as you think about the future, one of the challenges here is that long-term mentality. Um, you know that need to invest requires some return on investment, but we live in this sort of quarterly returns and focus on the others. How, how do we address that? How do we get to this point of delivering uh, value to everybody so that the, they can come to the table and make those necessary investments? Yeah, I, I think the employers, it's got to start with the employers uh, demanding uh, more access and and uh, better services from everybody, from health plans and from hospitals. So it's just not a financial game. It's accountability for their employees having access to you know, quality care and not having you know, long delays. Um, it, it's got to it's got to start there, and then we've got to kind of build a system that's fewer barriers to care and less Monday morning quarterbacking, where it's easy to just deny a service retrospectively based upon paperwork and somebody's notes. So it's going to, it's going to be a, I think a tough go here for a while, next couple of years, but there's got to be more dollars invested in, in healthcare services. So I, as I think about this and uh, you know, the investment, uh, but perhaps that uh, process of review, instead of focusing on the uh, small number of outliers, we, essentially place a retrospective uh, that analyzes and looks at the historical context and, you know, reaches a reasonable uh, opinion on appropriateness of care that everybody can agree to. But rather than place the burden at the point of care, which is essentially impacting uh, patients uh, the most, we might be able to do this in a more elegant way and one that everybody can come to the table and uh, satisfy. Um, Ken, thanks for joining me on the show today. Well, I've enjoyed it, Dr. Mick. I appreciate this opportunity to talk about managed care. Healthcare affects all of us and we all need to take responsibility to find solutions. The failure of the system affects each and every one of us. As you heard Ken say, it starts with demanding better, more economical access to quality healthcare. Understand the patient process and spend time understanding the individual experiences. Find the way forward to investing in the healthcare services, seeking longer term benefits that are good for everyone, including the patient.
Your better pill to swallow is to build trust throughout your community of patients, doctors, clinicians, healthcare executives, and payers and insurers. Spend time understanding the competing objectives, ready to find compromise on all sides of the table. We have great care and people delivering that care, but that needs to be accessible, affordable, and economical for everyone involved. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare, as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.